This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The New York Times recently reported on what it called the Walmart of heroin in the Philadelphia neighborhood called Kensington for a report on keeping people alive in an epidemic of overdoses in places like Kensington. We turn to Maya Salovitz. She wrote the New York Times bestseller, Unbroken Brain, A Revolutionary New Way of Understanding Addiction. She's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, Scientific American, and The Nation. Maya Salovitz, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, you talk about the carnival of chaos and death that has accompanied the current crisis that you report on from Philadelphia, where you say no one can recall anything like the current crisis. You went there to the badlands of Kensington and Philadelphia. Tell us about your visit. It's just quite astonishing. We used to see in New York in the 80s these like open-air street drug markets where there were people literally like lining up on the streets for um, to buy drugs, and it was just very much out in the open. But I've never seen something as intense as it is there right now because not only is there this open scene, but there are people who are just staggering around like sort of a level of high that you normally don't see that many people. And you say that the local public library there carries the overdose drug naloxone. Tell us about that. Well, the good thing about opioids is that there's an antidote um, called naloxone, which can uh, reverse an overdose immediately if given in time. And it, it doesn't do anything other than that. It will put you into withdrawal if you're physically dependent on an opioid. But um, if you give it to, say, somebody who overdoses on coke or who has a heart attack or whatever, it's not going to do any harm. So um, in this area where there's people who are just looking for a safe spot to inject, a library bathroom will be warm and private. And so people go in there to do their thing. And then because fentanyl is so prevalent, a lot of them overdose. And then you have librarians doing overdose reversal with naloxone. The heart of your article for The Nation is the report that Philadelphia could become the first city in the United States to open something called a safe injection facility. Tell us about that. So the idea is basically clearly in areas like Kensington where there's concentrated, intense levels of drug use. Nobody walking down the street wants to see somebody shooting up in their neck. No little child on their way to school wants to be watching somebody perform sex work in order to get their next drug. The people who are engaged in those activities do not want to be doing it in the public, but they don't have anywhere else to go. So what a safe injection facility does is it allows people a space where they can do the drug without being in a hurry, without looking over their shoulder for the police, without having to share needles, without having to just, you know, sort of jam it in there quickly so they can get on their way and not be ripped off. It, it basically gives them a space to make this private. And also, if there is an overdose, it can be instantly reversed because there are trained people on hand to do that. Well, how can it be a good idea to help people shoot drugs? Of course, this is the the big objection to safe injection facilities. How can a safe injection place help addicts recover as opposed to making it easier for them to continue being addicts? 
Well, people have this really absurd idea that if you just are horribly cruel to people with addiction and just put all kinds of obstacles in their way, that's going to stop them. Addiction is defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, by the most accepted definition in the world for addiction, is compulsive behavior that continues despite negative consequences. So what do we do to try to fix it? Pile on the negative consequences when that is exactly what it does not respond to. So if you actually want people to stop using, you need to give them space to think. And that's what all of harm reduction approaches do, such as needle exchange or safe injection sites and even prescribing heroin. Basically, during active addiction, people are in the grip of the compulsion to continue to do the drugs. And that is their sort of very, very narrow focus. And if they just have the drugs, if they're just in a safe space and they're not in all that, you know, chasing, worrying about the cops, worrying about getting the money, all that kind of stuff, suddenly they've got a whole lot of free time on their hands. And suddenly they start thinking, ah, you know, maybe this really isn't what I want. And the other portion of harm reduction that's really important and and that people don't see. When you give somebody a clean needle or a safe space to inject, what you're telling them is you deserve to live regardless of our judgment of these habits. We record our show in L.A. On Skid Row, there is a needle exchange, which is sort of one step down from a safe injection facility. And if you talk to the people who come in the door, some of them will tell you This is the only place I've ever been to in my life where people cared what happened to me. That's exactly the beauty of harm reduction, and that's why you can almost see it as a spiritual thing. I mean, people are just fundamentally being compassionate and saying that, you know, we don't want you to harm yourself. We know that you're engaged in this activity that you don't want to stop at this point, but let's not die. Let's keep you alive. Let's see what we can do in order for you to be healthier. And it is amazing to see what happens when some of these extremely marginalized people get a sense that somebody cares. What is just so tragic to me is that we as a society are just like, throw those people away. They're useless. They're parasites. They're, you know, they don't do anything worthwhile. They would if we would give them a chance and stop trying to like bat them over the heads so that they stop using drugs. So the United States right now has no cities with legal safe injection sites, although some are trying to do it now. But there are places outside the United States where this has become an ordinary part of city life. Where are those places? Well, I mean, in Switzerland, the first safe injection facility opened up in 1986. And Vancouver has had its safe injection facility, I believe, since the mid-90s. Australia's had them for a long time. Germany has them. The Netherlands has them. I mean, really, they are not anything different than a syringe exchange with a place for people to actually use the drugs. And I think one of the things that is really tragic about the current fentanyl epidemic is that when the problem was primarily heroin and when the biggest harms that you were associating with injection were the spread of disease and overdose on heroin, safe injection facilities were pretty useful in getting people to dramatically reduce those risks. But with fentanyl on the street, 
it's sort of like every single injection is like playing Russian roulette. And so people um, in Vancouver um, and in many of these other places are really starting to talk about we really need to, like, give people a safer supply of drugs and not be having them play Russian roulette every time they take an injection. And that, of course, sounds incredibly scary to people. Now, Switzerland, of course, has had heroin prescribing since the 80s, and, or early 90s, rather. And the U.K. and actually the United States had prescribing for people with addiction in the 20s, and the U.K. kept that all the way up until now. They actually have some people who are maintained on heroin and a very few who are maintained on cocaine. This has been a thread in drug policy for a long time. And what happens, again, when you provide people a safer supply is that people have a moment to think the cops and robbers go out of their life, they are more likely to get a job, are less likely to engage in criminal activity, are more likely to care for their families, you know, all the good stuff. And where in the United States has the campaign for safe injection sites made the most progress? We've talked about Philadelphia. I assume there are other places also. Yes. And I mean, to me, the hopeful thing, I've been writing about addiction and and harm reduction, which is the idea that our drug policy should focus on reducing harm, not reducing people getting high. I've been focusing on that for about, uh, writing about it for about 30 years now. And, you know, when needle exchange was first starting in the late 80s and early 90s, there was massive opposition. Cities did not want needle exchange. New York shut down its needle exchange that the public health department had opened and ACT UP had to come and fight to get it back. We had all of this anti-needle um, exchange activism, basically, by politicians and by some crazy people like the Guardian Angels, believe it or not. But anyway, there was all this you know, opposition, and certainly there is still opposition now, but we've got New York, Philadelphia, Seattle, Denver, Vermont, now fighting to be the first, oh, Ithaca, New York, to be the first place to open a safe injection site. So there are politicians that are on side. There is real progress being shown here because at least we're not fighting to keep it out. Maya Salovitz, she wrote about two cities in the grips of the opioid crisis, Philadelphia and Vancouver, for the new issue of The Nation. Maya, thanks for your work on this, and thanks for talking with us today. Oh, thanks so much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.